This year, I am focused on saving and investing, but I still want to do things like travel. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side-by-side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending, which means you could end up with a free flight or maybe a better hotel room. So what could future you do with smarter financial decisions? Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Do you want to set your child up for success? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way with positive feedback. Well, I know with Eleanor, when she was struggling so much with math, if she had been able to do online learning at home, she would have been much better able to keep up with the class, and that would have just made the whole situation much easier for her. Don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And half your listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash happier. Visit IXL.com slash happier to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting-edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences in how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you might try eating something you saw on the screen or on the page, and we'll talk to my old friend, writer Annie Murphy-Paul, about her fascinating new book, The Extended Mind. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I'm in New York City, and our parents are with me here in New York City visiting. Very exciting, Elizabeth. And you're joining from Puerto Rico. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer, currently spending some time in Puerto Rico shooting (laughs) Fantasy Island. And Gretchen, I am so jealous that you get to spend time with mom and dad, but I'm going to see them later this summer for the first time since Christmas 2019. Yeah, it's exciting. Now, before we jump in, a few updates and announcements. First, remember, we are going to do a very special episode on tips and advice for recent graduates from college. So that's first job, first roommate situation after school, best advice, worst advice you ever got. We're collecting that. And we're also collecting suggestions for dealing with obliger rebellion. Uh, We have gotten some fascinating insights already, but we want more. So if you have found a great way to deal with obliger rebellion or you've dealt with it in other people or yourself, please let us know. And Gretchen, we have an exciting announcement. We have our next book club pick. Yes. Oh my gosh. We are so excited to have the book club pick. We know people have been waiting for this, but we were waiting for just the right book. And now we have just the right book, an outstanding memoir called Crying in H Mart, which is the new memoir by Michelle Zauner. Yes, Michelle Zauner is an indie rock star of Japanese breakfast fame. She was an instant New York Times bestseller with this book, which was named a best book of 2021 by many publications. 
You may have read the 2018 New Yorker essay by the same name in which Michelle Zauner uses her relationship with Korean food to trace her grief over her mother's death and the ways in which she questions her half-Korean identity. It went viral. A lot of people read it, uh, and I will put a link in the show notes if you would like to read that to give you a flavor of the memoir to come. And I'll read the official description, Gretchen. In this exquisite story of family, food, grief, and endurance, Michelle Zauner proves herself far more than a dazzling singer, songwriter, and guitarist. With humor and heart, she tells of growing up one of the few Asian-American kids at her school in Eugene, Oregon, of struggling with her mother's particular high expectations of her, of a painful adolescence, of treasured months spent in her grandmother's tiny apartment in Seoul, where she and her mother would bond late at night over heaping plates of food. As she grew up, moving to the East Coast for college, finding work in the restaurant industry and performing gigs with her fledgling band and meeting the man who would become her husband, her Koreanness began to feel ever more distant, even as she found the life she wanted to live. It was her mother's diagnosis of terminal cancer when Michelle was 25 that forced a reckoning with her identity and brought her to reclaim the gifts of taste, language, and history her mother had given her. Yes, we are so excited to have the opportunity to talk about Crying in H-Mart. We will announce the exact date soon, but get to reading now. And by the way, if you don't have H-Mart where you live, H-Mart is the name of a very popular Korean-American supermarket chain. So Crying in H-Mart is like crying in the grocery store. And it's an outstanding book, and we are very, very excited to talk about it with everyone. I cannot wait. And this week, our book club choice helps to foreshadow a little bit our Try This at Home. And our Try This at Home tip is to eat something you saw on the screen or on the page. Yes, there is lots of talk about food and crying at H Mart. Yes. Now, I got this specific idea from Reem Cassis, a friend of mine. And Reem Cassis, she started her career in business, and then she decided to become a writer with a focus on food history and culture. She's written two award-winning cookbooks, The Palestinian Table and The Arabesque Table. And I do not have much of a taste for food or for flavor. And because I'm writing this book about the five senses, I thought, wow, you know, Maybe if I talk to someone who really thinks a lot about taste and flavor, I'll get some, some pointers and some mm-hmm. insights. And Reem had this, made this really interesting observation. She said to me, if I watch a TV show or movie that shows people making or eating a specific dish, I'll buy the ingredients and cook that dish myself. If characters are eating a specific kind of rice cakes, I'll make an hour-long trip to H Mart to buy them so that I can experience what I see. And, and so here, she, she will drive an hour out of her way to go to H-Mart mm-hmm. to buy just what she sees. And then she also said it wasn't even just seeing it on TV or in movies. It was also reading it. So when she was reading the novel Americana, she got really interested in Nigerian cuisine. And she wanted to figure out how to make dishes that they prepare in the book, like jollof rice. And I thought that this was such a great idea as a way to experience the world more deeply, get an insight into other cultures, like get in touch with something that you've seen on the screen or on the page and and make it real in our our own lives. I I was enchanted by this idea. Yes. And Gretchen, it's not something you and I might actually follow through with because we are not cooks. No. But I think a lot of our listeners would love this. I think so. And while I don't think that you and I would like run off and prepare something the way Reem would, (laughs) like where Mm -hmm. she's really like 
pushing herself to try new ingredients and new cuisines and really hone her skills. I do sometimes seek out a food, or at least I'm curious about a food, even if I can't find it, because it's something I've read. Like, I remember uh, as a child being extremely excited the first time I was able to get my hands on Turkish Delight, mm. which was a kind of candy that I never really saw for sale, but I read about it in uh, C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and I was so curious. And I have to say, it was nothing like what I imagined. <laughs> yes. I remember talking about Turkish Delight and you telling me, like, Elizabeth, it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. Or, you know, other from children's literature, the Blancmange that um, they talk about in Little Women. I still have wanted to taste Blancmange. And um, I actually looked it up online because I was like, what does it even look like? I have Blancmange kind of gives you a picture. I pictured it kind of like a white custard, which I think yeah. is kind of what it looks like. But I've never tasted it. Would I make it? No. Would you make it? No. <laughs> but if somebody offered to us, even I, I would love. I would be very curious to try it. Yes, I'll have Sarah do this. Try this at home. My writing partner. She likes to cook, so I'll get her to cook something. Well, and I think for some people, they're looking for ways to get ideas. Just the yeah. way I, I'm always looking for ideas of books to read. I think some people are always looking for reasons to try something new. And this is just a fun way out of the giant wide world of food and drink. Why might you try something new? Well, if you see people enjoying it on screen, it sort of awakens that desire in you to experience it for yourself. Yeah. And it really is experiencing the book or the movie or the TV show in a deeper way. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Yes. And one of the things that I found in my study of the five senses is it really does deepen our experience of the moment. Like it really does make life feel richer and more vital if you're experiencing it in kind of a more three-dimensional way. Like uh, pumpkin pasties, right? If I had a pumpkin pasty from Harry Potter, I would be so excited. <laughs> Again, I don't think I would actually cook it, but if somebody else cooked it, I'd be very excited mm -hmm. to try it. And it's a way to get that atmosphere of growth because you're learning how to prepare new things and how new things taste. And it's something to share with other people as well. Yes, absolutely. So let us know if you do try this at home and how eating something that you saw on the screen or on the page worked for you. What did you eat? Did you go buy it? Did you actually prepare it yourself? Where did you see or read about it? Let us know. We're very curious to hear what people do with this idea. Let us know on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or as always, you can go to the show notes. This is happiercast.com slash 328 for everything related to this episode. Coming up, we have a happiness hack that combines reading with clutter clearing. But first, this break. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Elizabeth, I got the Flow Knit Wide Leg Pant. It's very light. It's perfect for the summer. It packs very easily. I recently went on a trip with my family, and I took it with me, and they were just the thing to wear on a really hot day where I wanted to be covered up, but I wanted something that looked great and also was very comfortable. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. 
Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Gretchen for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Gretchen to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash Gretchen. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. And, you know, Elizabeth, I now work with a team and hiring the right people is so important. It's maybe the most important thing. And LinkedIn makes the process of identifying and hiring people easy and intuitive. I know that when I've been hiring for my team, it's hard to find quality candidates to interview. And LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now for a happiness hack. This, this hack combines two of my favorite things, reading and clutter clearing. Yes, and it comes from Gina. She says, I wanted to share this tip that I discovered after doing some spring cleaning that's been bringing so much joy to my life. A couple of months ago, I recataloged all of my books on my bookshelf after I noticed that there were many out of place and I had several new ones to add that were laying around in piles in my office. I have a wall of built-in bookshelves and when I was finished reorganizing, I had one empty shelf around eye level. Well, I know that Gretchen loves the luxury of an empty shelf, it looked quite awkward being the only one empty when all of the shelves around it were full. That's when it occurred to me to make it my books I've read this year shelf. I pulled out all the books I've read since January 1st and let them stand together on this shelf, which is only about a third of the way full so far. Not only does it make me happy to see the books that I've already read together in one place, I'm motivated to keep working through my reading list to fill up the shelf. My husband even liked the idea so much we cleared off a shelf for him to have his own. I can't wait for New Year's next year when I can add these books back to their correct categories and start the process all over again. I think this is great because it's a way of clearing clutter. And it's also a way of like giving yourself that ta-da list. Like yes. it's so fun to have a list of the books that you've read. And I think it's it really would help you keep up the momentum. So much fun. Great idea, Gina. Well, and Elizabeth, you used to do this with the books that we featured on the podcast. You had a special shelf for all the ones we talked about. I sure did. But Gretchen, we've had so many now that my, my shelf is overflowing. So <laughs> I've had to reorganize that. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. Yes. Thank you. That's such a great idea for reading and clutter clearing. And now for a happiness interview. We are very excited to be talking to my old friend, journalist and writer Annie Murphy-Paul, about her absolutely fascinating new book, The Extended Mind. 
Annie Murphy-Paul is an acclaimed science writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Boston Globe, Scientific American, Slate, Time Magazine, and the Best American Science Writing, among many others. She is the author of Origins, How the Nine Months Before Birth Shaped the Rest of Our Lives, which was reviewed on the cover of the New York Times Book Review and selected as a notable book. And she wrote The Cult of Personality, How Personality Tests Are Leading Us to Miseducate Our Children, Mismanage Our Companies, and Misunderstand Ourselves. Her new book is my favorite kind of book with lots of research. It's also very practical and a fascinating read. It's called The Extended Mind, The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain. It's about how, when we're facing a difficult project or problem, we can get outside our heads to get more focus, more brain power, and more creativity from the outside. Hello, Annie. Hi, Annie. Hi. Hi, Gretchen. Hi, Elizabeth. Hey, it's so great to talk to you. You know I have been talking to you about this book for years now. <laughs> um, I, I love this subject, so it's so exciting that it's, that it's hitting the shelves and we get a chance to talk to you about it. Well, I'm so excited to talk about it after having <laughs> thought about these ideas to myself for, as you say, years and talked yeah. about it with friends like you. But to be having it come out in the world is beyond exciting. Yes. So, Annie, in the book, you talk about three ways we can think outside the brain by thinking with our bodies, thinking with our surroundings, and thinking with our relationships. And each one is so fascinating. Will you sort of take us through starting with the bodies? Sure. So, you know, Western culture has traditionally thought of the mind and the body as separate. But what we're learning through uh, research in what's known as embodied cognition is that actually thinking is like a full body experience. We think with our bodies, with the internal sensations of our bodies, with the movements of our bodies, and with specifically the gestures, the specific kind of movement, the gestures of our hands. And so... To eliminate or push aside the body when we're thinking, as we often do, you know, we yeah. think of thinking as something you do sitting still and, and bearing <laughs> down, you know. Now, in the book, you talk about like Rodin's thinker. Mm -hmm. Right. Chin on fists. Yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and also, you know, a lot of us think that in order to get difficult, challenging mental work done, we have to power through. We have to suppress the urges of our body. And really, it's just the opposite. We need to be tuning into our bodies to engage this faculty called interoception, which is a fancy word that just basically means gut feelings, you know, the internal sensations we have that are with us all the time. There's this flow of internal sensation that can really inform our thinking, but we're so used to pushing that aside when we're trying to get work done. So there's bodies and then there's surroundings. I thought this was particularly interesting you had so many interesting examples of how we can shape the like the interiors of workspaces or the interiors of schools to really support people in thinking. So like what are some great examples of that? Yeah, I think we have a real opportunity right now as we return from the yes. pandemic to, yeah. to think about how we arrange these spaces. And to be honest, I'm a little concerned about some of the trends that are taking place. Like I hear a lot of my friends who are returning to offices saying that individual private offices or even desks have been eliminated in favor of this sort of hot desking or hoteling mm, arrangement. Yeah. And that just goes against everything we know about <laughs> what makes for a productive 
working space. And those things are things like having a sense of ownership and mm. control over your workspace, having yeah. privacy, which kind of already went out the window with the open office, which is a terrible <laughs> invention. Yeah. Um, but also having cues of identity and cues of belonging that are visible to you. And so if you have a generic desk that you're just sitting at for the day, all of that rich signification is is lost. And I think some of our productivity and our creativity is lost along with it. That's so interesting. And what about people working at home, though? Could that be a good thing then if you're working in your home office and you have all your stuff around you? Yeah. Can you be more productive? There is a thing called uh, the home field advantage, which does not just apply to sports. It means that um, people tend to be more confident, more effective, more productive in their own space when they feel like it's theirs, they own it, they mm. control who comes in and who comes out. Mm. And that's not just about the feeling we have uh, when we're in our own space. It actually has to do with the perceptual fluency we experience when we're in a space that is organized almost to reflect the workings of our mind. Like we know where things are, mm -hmm. things are in piles or arranged yeah. in ways that actually structure our thinking. And when we can't do that, when we have to gather up all our stuff and, you know, bring it home with us, we don't have that opportunity to offload our thinking onto our the space where we work or we learn. And then, Annie, the third way is through relationships, relationships with others. And you talk about how to do a better brainstorm. I'm a television writer, so mm. much of my job is brainstorming. <laughs> mm -hmm, so I'm mm -hmm. dying to hear how I can do it better. <laughs> well, here, I think, again, we have this myth of the solitary genius. You know, we, <laughs> yeah. Just like we think we should be still and not move when we're thinking, we think we should be alone. And that's really wrong because... We've evolved these habits of thinking by ourselves. We bring those into group situations. And that's what makes group thinking often so unsatisfying and so ineffective. We really need to develop the skills of thinking with other people. And a lot of that involves making our own thinking much more explicit. Mm. Well, see, you know what's so interesting is Elizabeth, as a TV writer, they do that so much more. Like Elizabeth's got a whiteboard behind her right now, and there's all kinds of record keeping and post-it notes, and mm. there are people mm. whose job it is, right, Elizabeth? Yes, our writer's assistant's only job is to take notes and organize them at the end of the day so that we know what we've decided on in this six-hour session. That's fascinating. but And I know you said about how, like, sometimes people think, like, oh, to do a good job, you write down everything, and that's not helpful. And what's, it's like, how does somebody distill it so that they can step in and understand what was decided? Exactly what you're saying, Annie. It's like, people know what they know, but how do you help other people get access to that? Right, right. Having someone whose job it is to synthesize what has been decided on is so valuable. I'm thinking of this story I tell in the book about two organizational psychologists who sat in on a meeting in which a diagram, individual copies of a diagram, the same diagram was, was distributed to every member of the team. And they noticed that as the meeting progressed, each member of the team was making different notations on this diagram. Mm. So they left on their own diagram. So they left the meeting, each with a different understanding of what was going on. So to have someone whose designated mm. role it is to say, this is the agreement we came to. This is what we decided we're going to do. That is a really smart way of thinking together. I love that. 
And Annie, one of your suggestions is that if you're going to give a presentation, you should plan for and practice the gestures you'll make, just like you would rehearse the words, with both beat gestures and symbolic gestures. What are those and why should we use them? You know, when we're about to give a speech, we're thinking so much about what we're going to say. That's almost exclusively what we're thinking about. And yet so much of what people take away from what from a speech is what we've done with our hands. And what's so amazing about gestures is that they can conjure a whole world that doesn't exist yet. And so often mm. with this, in a speech, we're trying to convey our vision of the future or what we want to, ha to happen. And gesture has this special power to make that seem almost real in a way that words can't. And so we really want to pay attention to our gestures. And those two kinds of gestures that you mentioned, Elizabeth, beat gestures are nonspecific gestures we use to kind of emphasize a point um, to drive home what we're saying. Symbolic gestures are ones that in some way capture the meaning of what we're saying. And both of these gestures are really important, but the symbolic gestures are especially key for getting people to understand what we're saying. And one thing I've taken away from this research is that when I'm looking for a video resource for myself or for my kids, like a YouTube video to explain a concept, I look for instructors whose hands are visible and who are mm. using these kind of symbolic gestures. And it's surprising, actually, how often you'll th these videos will just be a talking head or mm -hmm. you won't you won't see someone's hands at all. And in fact, when I'm in a Zoom or in a, or I, I teach sometimes, and when I'm teaching on video, I try to make, be far enough back so that people can see my gestures. And because we do so much on screen these days, I think it's important for people to remember that it's good for people to see your hands. So ever since I read your book, I've really been trying to do that. And it's hard with Zoom to get yourself positioned in a place mm -hmm. so that it, your hands aren't like right up next to your face. But even <laughs> right. to do kind of like on the one hand or on the other hand, or like, this is true, but that is true. And to try to make those kind of gestures, it really does feel a lot more lively. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's, it's gestures are not only for the other person, they actually help you yes. speak more fluently. Mm -hmm. And there's ways in which... Our gestures, they actually manifest our most advanced or most cutting edge ideas before we're really able to put them into words. So they show up first in our gestures. And then once we've expressed them spatially like that, we can use that self-generated information to inform our verbal account. So you're actually getting ideas, your best ideas from your own hand. So it's <laughs> you really, you know, there's again, there's this this kind of bias against gesturing that it's like hand waving and it's sort of gauche, you know, but actually to set aside or push aside the gesturing of our hands is a big mistake. And I think we should all be encouraging ourselves and others to be gesturing as much as possible. Well, several times in the conversation, you've mentioned big mistakes. And I think that one of the real values of your books is that you dispel a lot of misconceptions or, or maybe a lot of assumptions that people haven't questioned, but that, that once you probe them, you realize that actually we should be thinking about something a different way. Um, in addition to ones you've already mentioned, is there anything that, you were, that you're like, if I could just tell people one thing <laughs> about schools or workplaces or home life about how they get the extended mind wrong. Is there something you'd, you'd caution people against? To come there to is. Come? There oh. is. And, and I see it all the time now that I've noticed it, which is <laughs> our culture idealizes and almost fetishizes the brain. I mean, if you, if you look at how the brain is depicted, it's, almost, it's always like this glowing orb, like this mm -hmm. amazing sacred object. And 
we're told all the time, like in popular science accounts, that the brain is so amazing. It's so extraordinary. It's the most complex object in the universe, you know? And then when our own brains don't work that well, we're like, well, I guess <laughs> I, I, <got> a <laughs> I guess it must be my brain. <laughs> yeah. When actually, this is the misconception that I would most like to correct. The biological brain on its own is actually quite limited. I mean, it's a biological organ that's shaped by evolution to do some very specific things. And those things are pretty different from what we actually ask of it these days in, in our modern knowledge-centric society. So the brain needs help. You know, the brain yeah. needs these outside-the-head resources. And the more skilled we are at using those outside the head resources, the better our brains will work. So we shouldn't expect the brain to do it all on its mm. own. And that's why you talk about all these different things that we can recruit to help our brains, to extend our brains. Exactly. Thinking outside the brain. Mm. Okay, but shifting gears a little bit, Annie, you wrote a book called The Cult of Personality in which you were very critical of the history and effects of personality tests. <laughs> And yet, like everyone I know, I have, uh, let's say, encouraged you to take the four tendencies quiz. <laughs> and you have taken the quiz and you, you're, you're okay with my personality quiz. So <laughs> reveal your, your tendency. And I'm excited that you think there is merit to the four tendencies. Well, I have to say, because Gretchen and I are friends, I've been hearing about the four tendencies <laughs> for years and yes. years, and I only just took the test this morning, <laughs> oh, but I knew what I was. I am the paradigmatic questioner, which yeah. I think a lot of journalists are. It's sort of in our DNA. And what can I say, Gretchen? I just think that the four tendencies are so psychologically astute and they make so much sense to me. I actually apply them in my daily life a whole lot. I talk about it with my kids. And I don't know how you did it. But <laughs> I think what's interesting is that I find the four tendencies really just enlightening. I don't find them limiting or constricting, which okay. was a big problem that mm. I had with the categories that are in traditional personality tests. I almost had the experience, you know, when I wrote The Cult of Personality, I got so much pushback from the fans of, in particular, the Myers-Briggs. And mm. I could tell that this was really meaningful to them. These categories that they'd, that they'd learned about from the test had made the world make sense to them, had made them themselves legible to themselves in some new way. And that's actually, and now I feel like I understand them a little bit better because I never, I never identified with the categories of the Myers-Briggs, but I really, everything that you asked in the four tendencies quiz, I knew exactly which was my answer, you know, <laughs> and all the things you said in the summary that I read after that said, you know, you only you don't like to do things if there's not a purpose to it. And you'll, you'll only take a step if it makes sense to you. I'm like, yes, yes. That's <laughs> me. So I think belatedly, because the cult of personality came out many, you know, many years yeah. ago, 2004. Um, Belatedly, I'm understanding the kind of insight that some people get from personality tests, and I got it from the four the four <laughs> tendencies. Oh, oh, that makes me so happy! Yay! <laughs> and what about a try this at home? Uh, there's so many great try this at home things in your book. It's like there's just every chapter has so many concrete things that I think people will want to experiment with as a way to extend their minds. But what are one or two that you would particularly recommend to listeners? So what I would recommend listeners try at home is offloading 
their mental mm. contents, Ooh. getting your ideas and the information in your head. We try to do too much in our head, in our, mm. in our society. We think it's a mark of a really smart person to do stuff in your head, when actually the smart move is to get that stuff out of your head onto a physical surface of some kind, whether that's a bunch of post-it notes or a whiteboard, and then start interacting with those ideas as if they were objects, because that's what we evolved to do, you know, handle and manipulate and transform objects, not to think about abstract ideas. And I, when you do that, I mean, the, the research is there that the psychologists call this interactivity. Interactivity leads to better problem solving. You actually solve problems faster, which is interesting because you might think it's faster if it's in your head, but it's actually faster when you put it out into the world. More insight, more creativity, less anxiety. And uh -huh. so- you know, I, I always think about how we're allowed to do that when we're very small children. You know, mm -hmm. kindergartners use manipulatives yes. to learn math. and But we think that as we get older and more mature, that we should leave that behind, that that's sort of like a childish habit. But actually, the benefits of interactivity persist throughout our lives. And we as adults should be interacting with ideas um, out in the world as much as as much as we can. Well, I think it was in your book where there was all the research about when people were learning like chemistry or physics, that if they did something where it was sort of Ill, like they looked at a model where it was happening, that they understood it so much more quickly than when it was just sort of being explained to them abstractly. Yes. And in particular, when they have a physical experience of say in physics class and physics is notorious for <laughs> not I, not accomplishing its aims in yeah, the sense I, that I I would say I experienced that aspect of physics. <laughs> I mean there's there's amazing research that shows that students actually understand physics less well after they've had a semester of, of conventional <laughs> physics instruction. Like you come out of it, like understanding it worse, which is amazing. So that tells you that our conventional approach, which involves textbooks and lectures right. is really not working. And one of the reasons for that failure is that physics is, it's talking about physical forces in the world. And yet we try to understand them through words, you know? And so mm -hmm. giving physics students and a physical experience, a bodily experience of what they're learning about, mm -hmm. they that grounds their experience in a way that they can then access when they're later taking an exam or trying to figure out a problem. And so we need to be giving people physical embodied experiences as often as possible. Well, Annie, thank you so much. It's such a fascinating book, and it was yes. so fun to get a chance to talk to you about it. Thanks, Annie. <laughs> thank you so much. I've really been looking forward to this. It was so fun to talk to you about it. Coming up, I give myself a demerit related to Puerto Rico as my time here comes to an end. But first, this break. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. As your kids get older, some things about parenting get easier. They can dress themselves. They can clean up after themselves, allegedly. Other things don't, like having conversations about money. The fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money unless they're actually in charge of it. That's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on their kids' spending and saving while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Yeah, Jack has Greenlight. And one thing I love is that it includes a chores feature where you can set up one-time or recurring chores and reward kids with allowance for a job well done. 
Gretchen, we used to mow the lawn. How much more motivated would we have been if we'd had funds deposited when we completed the hat chore? Mm-hmm. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash happier. That's greenlight.com slash happier to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash happier. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. They've got everything you need to know about the listing itself, but even better. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools. And their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. Homes.com collaboration tools make it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. We're so excited to introduce you to Great Jones. Great Jones makes high-quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that's so stunning, you won't want to put it away. They have everything from Dutch ovens to ceramic dishes to non-stick sheet pans. They've got everything you want. I have the Saucy, which is a terrific saucepan. It has curved sides. It has a pouring spout. It has a lid. And it looks so elegant. It's really a pleasure just to look at it on the counter, even before we're using it. Yes, I love all the colors. Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER. Okay, time for demerits and gold stars. And Elizabeth, this is an even-numbered episode, which means it's your turn for demerit. Okay, Gretch. Well, my demerit is going to start with a gold star because I am giving oh. myself a gold star for going snorkeling last weekend in Puerto Rico with Sarah, my writing partner, and her daughter, Violet. Um, it was the first sort of outing that I had gone on while being here for almost two months. Wow. And it was so wonderful that I now have to give myself a demerit for not doing more things like going snorkeling. You were working a ton. Yes, I've been working every weekend. So it was the first day off that we took since we started the show, which was months ago. But what I wish I'd done is woken up early and made the time to do those mm-hmm. things, which is easy to say now, harder <laughs> to say that yeah. on a Saturday morning three weeks ago. Yeah. But nonetheless, I do wish that I had done more. Well, it's, it is good to remember that it's often energizing and refreshing yes. to do these things, even though ahead of time, it feels like a lot of work, but it is. Exactly. Yes. No, if we came back, what I would do is put the things on the calendar, sign up so that they were already scheduled in uh-huh. advance, which is the only reason this happened was because yes. Sarah signed <laughs> us up three weeks ago. Yes. But okay, Gretch, what is your gold star? Well, I want to give a gold star to listeners because so many listeners answered our questions. Um, We had a question about whether you look at the show notes 
And also whether you find it's useful when we uh, uh, include episode numbers, when we talk to a previous discussion. Um, we're always looking for ways to improve the show. We want to get rid of useless information, but make sure that we continue to include information that people do find useful. And so it was real help um, to hear from many listeners, many of whom kind of included how they use this information. Mm. Um, and it just gave us a lot of clarity on how we can um, keep things organized for listeners' convenience. So thank you to everybody and Gold Star to everyone who took the time to let us know how you use the notes. Gold stars. Yes, and resources are this week. We talked to Annie about her tendency. She's a questioner. Um, if you want to learn your tendency, you can take my free online quiz to find out if you're an obliger like Elizabeth, an upholder like me, a questioner like Annie Murphy-Paul, or a rebel. It takes less than five minutes. You get the results instantly. Go to quiz.gretchenrubin.com. Or if you've already taken the quiz and you want to go deep into the tendencies, you can check out my Four Tendencies course. Go to courses.gretchenrubin.com slash 4TC for everything that you need to know. And if you want an easy way to make every day a little happier, you can subscribe to my free Moment of Happiness newsletter, where five days a week I share a quotation related to happiness, good habits, or human nature. Um, it is so much fun. It is one of the joys of my life to choose the quotations for the Moment of Happiness. And you can sign up at GretchenRubin.com slash newsletter and select Daily Happiness Quotation. So, Elizabeth, what we're reading, what are you reading? I am listening to Rob Lowe's book, Love Life. Ooh, and I am reading One Crazy Summer by Rita Williams-Garcia. Ooh, that sounds good. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember, try this at home. If you see people eating some interesting food on the screen or you read about them eating it on the page, try it yourself. Let us know what food you tried and how it tasted. Thanks to our guest, Annie Murphy-Paul. You can check out her fantastic new book, The Extended Mind. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram, at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Drum roll. Here it comes. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend. Word of mouth is the best. And subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Croft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Gretchen, after that conversation with Annie, I am going to completely rethink my pitching style. Ooh, to show, to show gestures, your gestures. The beat gestures and the symbolic gestures. I mean, this is mind-blowing. Well, also, you have beautiful hands. Oh, thank you. So I think you gestures, like you get to like show those, show your beautiful hands. I'm going to do it. From the Onward Project. <laughs>